some good news? Well, you came to the right place. This might be the only place that you'll hear good news, right? When you look at the world, you think, oh, no, everything is coming to an end. Everything is horrible. But I'm here to tell you that the best is yet to come. In Christ Jesus, we go from gooder to gooder. We go from better to better. We go from glory to glory, from faith to faith. Because of his grace to grace. Amen? Man, you guys, I don't know if you guys are believing me this morning. You got to read your Bibles. The best is yet to come. We are on a current series that gives us a victorious view of the future. A victorious view of the future, not doom and gloom. Like so many false prophets are preaching out there. The best is yet to come. We are in a current series. Um, we are in week five discussing um, scriptures that have to do with the end of things and the, the climax of this age. And uh, we, are been, we have been going through the ch- um, book of Matthew. Um, start, we started out in chapter 23 and then went into 20, chapter 24. So... Um, I mean, I know it's unusual for a preacher to tell Christians this, but if you want to read along, if you want to do a little investigating on yourself, if you want to do a little studying yourself, read through chapters 23 and 24 in context and see what Jesus is talking about. And that's what we've been doing. For for some of you, I I see some new faces out here, what we're talking about might be a little different. It might change, have to, you make, make your head go tilt and smoke come out of your ears. But I ask that you investigate for yourself. Amen? Here's an awesome scripture that many of you probably read and you've just gleaned right over. In Acts chapter 3, verse 18, Paul and John, it's actually, not Paul, Peter and John, Peter is proclaiming this. He says, but the the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return. What's repent mean? Change your mind. A lot of people think that means, repent means to be sorry. It means to cry, to to, um, feel Um, condemnation and guilt for your wrongdoings. That's not what repenting is. Repenting is to see the truth in Christ Jesus and say, I'm going to turn from how I lived, how I viewed the world, how I viewed God, how I viewed myself. I'm going to repent and now see it through Christ. I'm going to see the world how God sees it. I'm going to see God as how he represents himself. And how does he represent himself? How can you know what God looks like? Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's awesome. That's awesome. So if your vision of God the Father does not look like Jesus, you are worshiping a false God. Wow. If your view of yourself doesn't line up with what God says, Because some of you are going through life with guilt and condemnation 
over things that you've done years ago, maybe things that you did yesterday. You know what God says? He says he doesn't remember your sins. He says you are cleansed. You are complete. You are holy. You are without blame. You are perfected in Christ Jesus. Now, you believe it. And when you believe it, guess what? You'll act like it. You know, we've had churches forever tell people that they're just a bunch of old sinners saved by grace. You know what they acted like? A bunch of old sinners. I'm here to tell you that you're not a bunch of old sinners. You were an old sinner. You got saved by grace, and now you, are the, you have been perfected in Christ Jesus, and you are one spirit with him. Now act like it. Amen? That's, that's a whole, it's a totally different view. Well, where are we? Before you guys interrupted me. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. What happens when your sins are wiped away? They're gone. So why, why are you bringing it back up? They're wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Wow. How many of you go into church or go into quiet times with, with God and, or read your Bible and get refreshed? Refreshed. You can be refreshed. You want to know why? Because your sins have been wiped away. God wants to refresh you in his presence. Amen. And, and there's so many people that don't understand this. Well, let me explain it in human terms. Let's just say that you owed me a thousand bucks. You owed me a thousand bucks, but you didn't have a thousand bucks to pay me. And you're long overdue. And, and you're walking down the street, whistling, doing some window shopping, looking in the windows, thinking about getting a, a Starbucks, going to your guys' favorite church, St. Arbucks. But, uh, yeah. And you're just whistling along, and all of a sudden you look up, and coming down the sidewalk, you see me coming. What happens to you? you yeah, you start, you're a man, and you duck into a women's clothing store, and or you're, whatever, you know, you're looking, how, how can I cross the street? You know, I'm looking down, don't want to make eye contact, ignore them. You know, that's how a lot of people live their life with God. They think that they owe God something. So whenever there comes a t time to get close to God, they back away. Or they don't think they're worthy. Because they think they owe something to God. Well, we did all, we all, all owed something to God. But Jesus Christ paid what we owed so that we can have a clean conscience before God Almighty. The, the Bible says, come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace in your time of need. That's amazing. That's awesome. So we're supposed to be refreshed we, we're, we, in the presence of the Lord, not fearful. Verse 20 goes on to say, and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until, until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Heaven must receive Jesus after he wiped away our sins, after he gives us times of refreshing in his presence. Heaven received Jesus for a period of restoration. 
What is the church supposed to be doing in the times that we're living in? Restoring, redeeming. And until the church restores and redeems this earth, Jesus is going to be waiting in heaven. We've shared other scriptures with you that Jesus is waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. The restoration of all things which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. God is redeeming the earth. And if you all you do is watch the news, if all you do is watch um, the false prophets on the TV, don't matter if it's Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, they, they all aren't speaking the truth of what God is saying. We are living in revival right now. I don't know if you know that. China is in revival. South America is in revival. We have whole, we have whole countries in Africa that the government has declared that Jesus is Lord over their country. Iran is revival. And whether you want to believe it or not, there is revival. There's an awakening happening in the church right here in the United States. What are you going to believe? What are you going to have faith for? Hmm. I mean, does it sound like Peter was looking forward to a world that was going to get worse and worse? See, we, we don't understand how good we have it. Even with all the chaos that we're experiencing right now, it's nothing. It's nothing compared to what happened during World War I and World War II. It's nothing compared to what happened in the Revolutionary War or the Civil War or even in the, in, 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 in the 60s. It's just confusion and chaos and darkness that is trying to blind our society and our culture. That's why we have to bring a counter culture. And we have to be like the, the church in the book of Acts that turned the world upside down. Because when you turn the world upside down, it's actually right side up. Amen? I mean, Peter wasn't thinking that the world was going to get worse and worse. He says that there's a time of restoration of all things. He said that God is waiting for the restoration of all things and to repent and believe the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Is this the message that you hear from the church today? No, the, the message from the church is, I got food that lasts for 20 years. Get your bomb shelter. Hide. Retreat. It'd be funny if it wasn't so pathetic. See, we've, we've been examining these questions that the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 24, and he, they asked um, three questions to Jesus. They said, when will these things happen? What will the sign of your coming, what will be the sign of your coming? And question three, what about the end of the age or the end of the world? We are currently discussing the first question of when these things, when will these things happen? And in context, 
we're, we're, we're looking at the context of Matthew in chapters um, 23 and 24. We see that these things, when will these things happen, was the judgment that Jesus proclaimed on Jer- Jerusalem and the temple. Right? If, if, if you, if you um, haven't heard these messages, if you haven't been with, with us this whole time, get online. Um, get online. Um, they're free. They're, we have video on YouTube. We have our website. We have, we're on I, uh, iTunes with our podcast. There's so many ways of, of doing that. If you're watching live streaming like, right now, like and share. Share this. Be, be an evangelist of the good news on, on social media. Um, just last week, we're, you know, we're a little church in a little town. And, and in the last seven days, we had a 11, little over 1,100 downloads of our messages. That's a lot. That's awesome. So, but anyways, that's my advertisement. So, so far, we looked at the following, following signs that Jesus prophesied that would happen leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. He said that false Christ would come, misleading many. He said that wars and rumors of wars would happen. He said that famines and earthquakes and birth pains. See, many people use these scriptures for things that are happening today, and even though these types of things might happen today, in context, Jesus wasn't talking about sometime in our day. He was talking about between when he said it, and when 70 A.D., when the, the temple was destroyed. So you guys are learning something today. I, I expect that you guys want to be Bible students. You want to understand the Word of God. You just don't want something to tickle your, your ears. Famines, earthquakes, birth pains, persecution. There was great persecution within the church we've seen. Um, history tells us it was called the great persecution of the church. Then there was the apostasy and false prophets of Gnostics and, and the Judaizers that we talked about last week. And then the gospel being preached throughout the whole world. And we've seen that Paul stated over and over again, I, I believe that was five separate times, he said that the gospel has been proclaimed throughout the whole world. And what did Jesus say would happen after the apostles were successful at preaching the gospel to the whole world? In Matthew 24, 14, it says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus said that after the gospel of the kingdom was preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations, then the end would come. So what was the end that he was referring to? A lot of people say that to get Jesus to come back, we have to, we have to preach the gospel throughout the whole world, and then Jesus will come back. Then the end will come. That's not true. Because in context, he wasn't talking about the end of the world. He was talking about the end of Jerusalem and the temple. The end is where, is where Jesus takes us, and, and at, this, at this end is where Jesus takes us as we finish the answer to the first questions that the disciple, the disciple asked. Therefore, going on to verse 15, therefore, 
When you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Not those in the whole world, those that are in Judea. Verse 17, whoever is on the housetop must go down, must not go down to get his things out of his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Jesus says that after the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, the end will come. And he says that he warns of destruction. Jesus told his disciples that after they were successfully preached the gospel, they needed to be ready to flee from Judea because destruction was about to occur. So to see these passages being a fulfillment to the end of the end of the world cannot be true. You can't use these passages to say this is what has to happen before the end of the world. Jesus doesn't give us the liberty to use these scriptures that way. Jesus is talking about tragic events that will happen not throughout the world, but right there in Jerusalem and the surrounding area of Judea. So also, we know that Jesus was, addre- was addressing his disciples and warning Jews and not the whole earth to flee. Do you notice that? Right? Are you with me? He warned that they would, not, that they would pray that their flight would not be on the Sabbath. Why? Why? What, what does the Sabbath, what, if, if, if our flight was on the Sabbath today, which would have been what, Saturday? How would that affect our lives? It wouldn't. But in Jesus' time, it was a law that you could not work at all on the Sabbath. You could not even run on the Sabbath. And he's telling them, when this happens, you need to flee. You don't even have time to go down from your rooftop to get any possessions. You don't, if you're in the field, do not go and pick up your cloak. You just run when you see this abomination of desolation come. Also, he said that people on their housetops must go, not go into their houses and get their possessions. When's the last time you were up on your housetop? Right? Does that sound like Jesus is warning us today? Jesus was speaking about some terrible things that were about to happen to Judea. And there is nothing in this passage that indicates that it's a worldwide event. So after all the signs that we have discussed over the last four weeks that we just recapped coming into this, we, uh, we have co- after all those things have come to pass, Jesus gives one last sign that would warn the people to flee from Judea. Let's read it again. But we're also going to read it in two other Gospels, the parallel passages in Mark and Luke. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. 
Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Mark says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. And Luke says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city. Hmm. We're starting to get some clues here, aren't we? We're starting to get some understanding of what is this abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation. What in the world was Jesus referring to when he warned the disciples about this abomination of desolation standing in the holy place? I'm sure most of you have heard it said that there's an event that will happen in the near future that a world leader will rise up called the Antichrist, that he will set up an idol of himself to be worshipped in a new rebuilt temple, or that he will be in that new built temple and declare himself to be God. First of all, it amazes me, it astounds me that Christians would get upset about a man standing in the temple saying that he is God, but would be perfectly fine and actually celebrate a temple being rebuilt and sacrifices being made for sin in that temple. See, this just shows us we do not understand the gospel. That, is, that, that would be just as much as an abomination as someone claiming to be God. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes the sins of the world. He is the one sacrifice forever for all humanity. And we have Christians that are urging and cheering on a rebuilding of a temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God lives in you. We do not go, have to go no longer to a temple made of stone, made with men's hands. We have God Almighty with us always. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We carry the kingdom of God in us. We do not understand the kingdom. We do not understand the gospel. We have a better covenant with better promises. Why would we go back to shadows? The Old Testament was just shadows. What the Jews had were just shadows. And let me explain what a shadow is. I go away on work. So I take a, I got a picture of my, my family and my wife on my phone. And, and I, while I'm away, I look at it and I admire it. And when no one's looking, I might give it a kiss. You know? It, 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 and I long for, for, to be with them. But when I come home, I don't go lock myself in my bedroom and look at the picture when I got the real thing sitting out in the living room. We have the real thing. We don't have to look at shadows. We have the Holy Spirit. We have a relationship with God. We have entered into the Holy of Holies. You yourself are a holy thing. You are the Holy of Holies, and God lives in you. This idea that the abomination of desolation is a world leader that claims to be God is completely unfounded. 
First of all, Matthew 24, nor any of the Gospels ever mention an Antichrist. Does the Bible mention an Antichrist? Yes, it does. We'll get to it. Got to keep coming. See, I put that hook out there. Also, Jesus is telling his disciples that, it, that they would be witnesses to this event. Did he not? When you see, he said. So the next thing we have to establish is where does this abomination stand? Where, where is it to stand? Matthew refers to the holy place, right? Luke refers to Jerusalem. So which author is correct? Is it uh, at the holy place or is it in Jerusalem? First of all, what's, what, what do we call Israel in, in Jerusalem? We call it the what? Holy land. Hmm. But, first, but anyways, who's right, Luke or Matthew? Actually, they're both right. They're both right. Because Matthew mentions the holy place, he's referring to the same location as Luke when he referred to Jerusalem. See, the Greek words used here is never used in describing the temple. Or it's never used describing the holy of holies. It's actually never used to describe a building at all in the Bible. It's used, the word that used for holy and the Greek word used for, is the Greek word for location. It is used in an expression such as a desert place, but never in reference to a building. So it's talking about a location. What is holy, first of all? Um, remember Moses, he, was on my, uh, he went up at the burning bush, and God says, take off your sandals, for this is holy ground. Did he, did he say, oh, I did not realize I stepped on holy ground. I can see it now. There's unholy ground there, and there's holy ground here. Or when they had holy instruments in the temple, like bowls and cups that they used in the temple, and it was holy. And, and, and could you take one of those bowls and take it up to the king's palace and have two bowls and move it around and say, yep, there's a ho that's a holy bowl, and that's an unholy bowl. What's, what's holy mean? Holy means to be set apart. So guess what? You're holy because in Christ Jesus you have been set apart. So you can walk around. Who do you think you are? I'm holy. Yeah. I've been set apart in Christ Jesus. You are a holy roller, right? It means to be set apart. So what is this abomination of desolation? Luke tells us that the abomination was the armies surrounding Jerusalem. What could be more detestable to the Jewish people than heathen armies gathered around the holy city to bring destruction and leave it desolate. See, this understanding also matches what we read in Daniel, which was referenced by Jesus. In Daniel 9.26, it says, Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. 
and having nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. We're going to cover Daniel in more detail in the future. But this shows us that Daniel agrees with Luke that the abomination of desolation was an army that would come and destroy the city and the temple. And history tells us, history tells us that indeed soldiers came and destroyed Jerusalem. For four months, they starved the people. Then they descended upon them as a flood pouring into a valley. When the abomination, that is the Roman army, began lining the mountains around Jerusalem, there was a short time during which people could flee. That's why Jesus exhorted those on the housetops not to go into the houses and, and get their possessions, and those that were in the field not to go back and get the cloaks. Jesus was telling them that, that they must flee Jerusalem immediately. After those Christians in Jerusalem escaped in that narrow window of time, the Romans sealed off the city and no one else was allowed in or out for four months. Historically, we are told that the early disciples fled Jerusalem before the destruction of the city. Why? Because Jesus told them to. They won't, he warned them. They did, they, why? When they seen the city and that it was surrounded by armies, they knew Jesus told them it's time to escape. Then there was great tribulation. In Matthew 24, verse 21, it says, For then there will be great tribulation, such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut, and sh cut short, no life would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. There it is. There's the great tribulation that everybody's looking forward to. Are you post, pre, mid? What are you? I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I love getting people thinking, this guy, I never heard such a thing. It's in your Bible. It's right there. There will be a great tribulation such as how has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will, unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. The great tribulation. Jesus warns the disciples, when you see all these things come to pass, with the climax being Roman armies surrounding Jerusalem, flee for what is about to come next is such a tribulation that has not occurred from the beginning of the world. Let's look at a portion of what the historian Josephus wrote about this devastation. So all hope of escaping was now cut off from the Jews, together with their liberty of going out of the city. Then did the famine 
widened its progress and devoured the people by whole houses and families. The upper rooms were filled with women and children that were dying by the famine. And the, and the lanes of the city um, were full of dead bodies of the aged. The children also and the young men wandered about the marketplaces like shadows, all swelled with the famine and fell down dead, wheresoever their ministry, misery seized them. Some teach that the great tribulation that Jesus spoke will come in the future, just before the end of the world, and it will spread over all the earth. Contextually and historically, these scriptures and prophecies from Jesus cannot be used to support that idea. This should be good news to you guys. You guys aren't acting like it's good news. It's good news. Jesus was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that happened exactly like he said it would in 70 A.D. Jesus was answering the disciples' questions. When will Jerusalem and the temple be destroyed? After the city was sealed off, the Jews committed terrible atrocities to each other, such as cannibalism. One, one account of historians is that a woman killed her and cooked her small son, and she ate half of it, half of him, and saved it, and then got in an argument with thieves that broke into her house to steal the other half. Talk about tribulation. They would, they would try to escape the city. And when they tried to escape the city, they would swallow precious stones like diamonds and rubies and stuff to escape with. And when they escaped, they would catch them. And since the Romans knew what they were doing, when they caught them, they'd, they would gut them looking for valuables. And then finally, the commander... Titus put an end to that. So you know what they did instead? If, whenever they caught somebody, they'd cut off both their hands and send them back into the city. Josephus tells us that more than five, listen to this, more than 500 men were caught per day. They were whipped, tortured, and nailed to crosses in front of the city until there was no more room for a cross. When the Romans entered the city, everyone was killed except for 97,000. And they were taken away to be slaves in the Egyptian mines, or they were given as gifts to various provinces so that they might be killed in their theaters. When this happened, history tells us a genocide was triggered throughout the whole world, and Josephus said the following. There was not any, in, uh, any one Syrian city which did not slay their Jewish inhabitants and were not more bitter enemies to us than the Romans themselves. The Jews were starved for four months, then slaughtered 
all throughout Judea. And during this time, many held hope of a Messiah appearing to deliver them just at the last moment. This led many to crying out to God for deliverance, which is why Jesus said this in Matthew 24, verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if I say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness. So if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east, and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Josephus gave us an example, um, one example of a false prophet who publicly declared to the, Jew, uh, to the desperate Jews that on a certain day what God was going to supernaturally deliver them. Many followed that leader and ended up losing their lives on that day. Sounds like a lot of things that we hear today. Jesus is coming back on this day. He also writes of, of how extort, extraordinary signs appeared, such as a star resembling a sword over Jerusalem and then a light around the temple for a half hour. This is just historical writings. Just as Jesus has prophesied, the false Christ demonstrated great signs and wonders. Jerome and... and and uh, ancient Christian commentary says, at the time of the Jewish captivity by Rome, many Jewish elders claimed to be Christ. There were so many, in fact, there were three distinct camps of them when the Romans besieged Jerusalem. See, Jesus told his disciples that when they hear about these false leader, leaders rising, they should not listen to the rumors or the declarations of Christ or false prophets appearing here or there. He said that when the real Christ comes again, it will be like lightning that comes from the east and flashes to the west. It's not something secret. It's not something that a special revelation that someone has to have. The whole world will know when he returns. Jesus' coming is not through rumors. It's like lightning stretching across the sky for all to see. In Matthew 20, verse 428, it says, Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Amazes me how much stuff we can come up with. You know, we, we even are looking at bird patterns, birds of prey in the, in the Middle East, and seeing that there's an increase of eagles and vultures over Israel. <laughs> That's all right. I used to think the same thing until I actually started read, reading for what it's saying and listening to other points of view. The New King James Version says, wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Right? And, and the, the Bible doesn't distinguish between vultures and eagles because they're just birds that eat on dead corpse, corpses. And 
And do you know, do you know what were on the flags and the shields of the Roman army? What was their emblem? The, the eagle. The eagle. They looked up to see, when they they looked up to see them totally surrounded by the Roman army. And when they looked up, they seen that they were totally surrounded by vultures and eagles, waiting on the hills to descend upon Jerusalem. This is the same thing that God warned Moses in the Old Testament. In Matthew 24, verse 12, well, this is Deuteronomy. It's supposed to be Deuteronomy. I'm sorry. Um, verse 49 in Deuteronomy. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as an eagle swoops down a nation whose language you shall not understand. The Jewish people had rejected their Messiah. They rejected Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus said, the guilt, as we started, the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the earth would fall upon that generation. Can the worship team come back up? See, when the temple was destroyed, the Jewish heritage was destroyed. Do you understand this, what this meant? Jerusalem was wiped off the face of the earth. The temple was completely plowed over. For a Jew living in that day that was not a believer in Christ Jesus, their world was coming to an end. You know, in a sense, it's kind of like what Paul wrote about the natural olive branch being cut off and a wild olive branch being grafted in. They lost their identity. The Jewish religious system was totally abolished. As a writer of Hebrew explains when he said, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. We have a new covenant, which is with better promises. We have a high priest who has made the ultimate and final sacrifice. This transition from the old covenant to the new covenant stands both at the center of the Bible and the center of history. B.C. A.D. When the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, it fi finalized the end of an old, insufficient religious system and ushered in the kingdom of God. Next week, we start with the second question. The second question was, what will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of your coming? And we're going to see what Jesus' answer was to that question. Amen? Amen. This is good news, folks. This is good news. The best is yet to come. The church is going to be victorious. 
the love of Christ, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached and, and, and hundreds of millions of people will come in to that kingdom. And then, and then our king will return. Amen. Amen. And another thing is, is this takes away fear. Anything that is not of love is fear, right? Because fear has torment. And God is what? Fear? No, God is love. So this even lines up with the nature of God. That the gospel is always, always good news. The best is always yet to come. Look up. Speak boldly. Be encouraged. Get happy, 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 happy. This is good news. Jesus won. He's seated on the throne. He is victorious. And we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. I don't know. Hopefully this will hit you later and you get happy and excited. Let's worship him. Let's praise him. Let's pray. I'll pray and then we're going to worship. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the word of God. Hmm. That is steadfast. That gives us understanding to what you have done and what you are going to do. But Father, even greater than this written word is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. The one that was tempted in all ways like us, but without sin. The one that we can look at and know exactly how you are. You are a God that does not condemn the world, but you desire that the world would be saved. For you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, the abundant life, the fullness of life in Christ Jesus. You're not a vengeful God. You are a saving God. You're a redeeming God. You're a God that is always declaring the best is yet to come. You haven't seen anything yet, church. Holy Spirit wants to use you in ways that you are, are unimaginable to you right now. God's going to call you to do things that you say, me? Not me. I can't do this. He's going to bring revelation He's going to bring understanding. He's going to loose the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain. We are the salt in this earth. We preserve this world from decay. We are the light of this world. We reveal the goodness of God and the lies of the enemy. We aren't victims. We are victors in Christ Jesus. 
we love you and we praise you and we thank you Jesus our soon coming king we say come Lord Jesus come prepare your bride in Jesus name Amen you've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church for more information or to contact us go to www.karisntc.org and remember you are deeply loved highly favored and destined to reign in Christ Jesus